Is this thing on? Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Crime with a K. My name's Kelsey, I'm your host, The K, and I'm sorry I did not give you an episode on Thursday. Honestly, I'm going to be transparent in the sense of like, last week my corporate job was just like my full-time job that pays my bills, was so busy, and I didn't even have time to go to the gym, make dinner, I didn't really answer anybody on my phone, and I just didn't have time to put out a good episode. And so just know if I'm not giving you an episode, it's mo- it's not because I don't want to or I'm not prioritizing. It's just I know in my heart it's not going to be the episode that you guys deserve because you deserve the best, okay? Because you are the best. You're my people and I love you. And I want to make sure every episode I give to you is a great, fantastic, fantabulous damn episode because you're the best. So that's why you didn't get one Thursday. But going forward, that you will get two in a row because, or two, two in a row. Oh God. You'll get two a week because I've caught myself up on all my work. And I have the next couple weekends to really sit down, dive in, and focus on the podcast, getting us back on track. And I really do want to prioritize it. So, coffee of the day, um, COTD, oh my god, what is on my straw? Um, Coffee of the day is, so I put an order in for New England coffee. My people, I love them. I love their coffee. As you all know, peanut butter, banana milkshake chocolate wait what is it peanut butter yeah peanut butter <laughs> peanut butter banana milkshake is my favorite flavor of coffee in the entire world so good it is so good but new england coffee said kelsey we love bananas just as much as you we're gonna release a chocolate covered banana coffee flavor great wonderful thank you bunches thanks a bunch of bananas no pun intended but then I ordered that when I had no clothes from no clothes when I had no clothing, no furniture, no anything because my peanut butter banana iced coffee was stuck with the movers on their truck. So I ordered more and I said to myself, all right, since I have to order some, let's get not three bags of peanut butter banana milkshake because Kelsey, you know, you like that branch out, expand your horizons. So I ordered peanut butter banana milkshake, really expanded the horizon there and s'mores and chalk covered banana. Today, I'm having the chocolate-covered banana. It's good. It's good. I really like it. I enjoy sipping on it. It's a coffee I wake up and say, ah, I can't wait to have that. But it does not top the peanut butter banana milkshake. And the reason is because you can just taste everything in the peanut butter banana milkshake. Like everything. I'm literally like giving these guys, I'm like their spokesperson for this freaking coffee. They're probably like, you like it more than we do. and We own the company. Okay. It's just so good. 
But today I have chalk covered banana iced coffee with some oat milk and it's delish. I'm on my third cup because like I said, this week has been crazy and it's just a lot. So that's my coffee of the day. Definitely head over to New England Coffee. Um, next episode, I actually have a sponsor for you guys for our coffee, which I'm really excited to share. But moving away from coffee of the day. <laughs> what? We're jumping into today's case. And I don't have any updates really today. I mean, my life has been pretty freaking mellow since the moving incident, which God bless because I just want nothing. I literally want like the most vanilla life after that, honest to God. And so today's case, I actually saw this on TikTok tons of times. Thought about not doing it because as you guys know, my number one case that I really struggle with covering is stockings. But then I was like, no, this is a really interesting case. And I think that everyone should hear it. I've seen it a lot on TikTok. So I figured I'd cover it, he- cover- <laughs> I'd cover it here. I figured I'd cover it here because the problem with TikTok is you only get three minutes of that information. And like, yeah, you get a lot of information, but you kind of don't in the same sense. You don't get the full story. And I wanted to cover it here because I wanted to do justice of, you know, covering this case and bringing awareness to taking things seriously and taking things seriously in the sense of like if somebody comes to you and says i'm feeling bothered by this person your ears should perk up and your alarm bells should go off because it only takes a second for people to become crazy and extreme and it i don't know i just this case made me like really upset so without further ado This is the case of Alice Rugels. Alice Rugels was born on December 24th, 1991, and she was the third of four children born to Sue Hills and Clive Rugels. She had one sister and two brothers, and they lived in the quiet Leicestershire village. This also takes place in England, okay? So, like, the Worcestershire, Leicestershire, Worcestershire, that stuff really confuses me, and, like, it shouldn't, because a lot of towns in Massachusetts are, like, based off of those two, but, like, it kind of... So if I'm saying any of these wrong, I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm so sorry. Um, Leicestershire village of Turlington. The family was very close with one another. And Alice was always somebody who she made her presence known in the family, but in a good way. She liked to play pranks on her siblings and her parents. And she loved to make jokes and crack jokes. And she had all this endless banter in the family group chat on WhatsApp. Her family and friends noted her to be just a natural entertainer. She really wanted to keep people laughing and happy and having a good time. And she'd actually grown up singing in school concerts as well as going and singing karaoke at all of her friends' parties, which I thought was so funny. So to me, Alice seemed like a fun, funny friend that we all have, like the friend that you get excited that you know is going to be there because they're the ones that really make it a good time for everyone. Like when it's the friend that you're like, oh, Alice is going, it's about to be lit. Like it's about to be funny. We're going to have a story something's gonna happen like and we're gonna talk about it for the rest of our lives over like coffee chats or like the sunday morning you know hangover chats like just she seems like that type of friend and family and friends also said that she was very outgoing she's very happy she had a loud but a fun personality and she was noted to have the ability to cheer anyone up when they were down or sad and she was wicked quick-witted she was a good listener and she was a genuine empathetic And Alice was also someone who could make friends anywhere she went, and she always seemed to fit in really well wherever it was she went. She could adapt, she could mold, she could find friends and find a group and make a group. And that's honestly a trait that not a lot of people have. 
Alice attended Leicester High School for her senior year, and it was an all-girls school where her mom, Sue, had worked. Alice was actually extremely popular here, and she made tons of friends. She had a lead role in the school pantomime. She performed performed comic pieces and house events, singing in the chamber choir. And on sports day, she was actually running and then fell flat on her face. But she thought that that was hilarious. And she made a huge joke about it. She made everyone laugh. She laughed at herself. She was somebody that could totally laugh at herself, but also wanted other people to know that she didn't care if they laughed at her as well. Like she wanted to be the center of like, it's okay, I don't take life too seriously. And she also wanted to help younger classes obtain the Duke of Edinburgh's award. So overall, she was just a really good person. And so I do want to read a couple things from the family website. So this is from the family website that Alice's mom started. The Rugal's family Christmas was a three-day affair. No one ever missed one, even after the children had moved away from home and everyone was scattered around the country. At Alice's insistence, the serious eating would always kick it off with an enormous Chinese meal on her birthday, Christmas Eve. Having discovered fencing at a PGL camp at age 11, the sport soon became an important part of Alice's life. Her chosen weapon was the epi, and she represented her home country of Herm County of Leicestershire in the East Midlands region on many occasions. She also enjoyed success on the national fencing circuit. By the time she was 18, Alice was selecting potential universities based on the strengths of their fencing clubs, and she duly chose Northumbria, where she became club captain. The proudest of her achievements was winning the Women's Epi at the Leeds Open in 2012. Alice was an all-around, like, just a good person with a bright future, and honestly, she's the first person I knew that ever did fencing. I don't really know anybody that does that. Alice went off to college at Northumbria University. At the time that all this takes place, she was only 24 years old. After graduation, Alice decided to stay in Newcastle because she'd grown to really love that city, and she ended up landing a job at a media giant called Sky, and she was quickly promoted to site coordinator and PA to the head of sales. One of her colleagues wrote of her, quote, You know, I'm not a man of many words, unless it was badgering you to get my laptop ordered, so I just wanted to list my best memories of you. Genuinely, the most horrific Munchuan accident I have ever heard. Ever. Absolutely awful. And hilarious in equal measure. You taught me the difference between foil, epi, and sabre. I still won't watch it at the Olympics. You are more sarcastic than me. Your sense of humor was second to none. So witty and sharp as attack. Last, but definitely not least, you had the most infectious personality and brightened the office on a daily basis. I can genuinely say any day I spoke to you was a happier one for it. You never failed to make me laugh, and I'm a miserable sod. You could even do it via an email. And the email, and then he also attached an email from Alice, and the email tap attached read, quote, laptop wait time is directly proportional to how nice you are to me. Therefore, yours is due for delivery in 2074. Thanks, Alice. In early 2016, Alice began seeing Treman Dillon. Treman initially won Alice over with his attentive and caring behavior, but after a few months, Alice began receiving messages from other women who were telling her that we're going to refer to him as Dylan because that's what everybody called him, telling her that Dylan was wanting to start relationships with them. And that's some bum ass behavior. That is a walking red flag. So Alice dumped his ass because she was like, I'm not doing that. Treman Dylan was a soldier serving with two Scots based at Penacuic, south of Edinburgh. 
Alice had been introduced to him online by a mutual friend while he was serving in a non-combat role in Afghanistan. They then met in January of 2016, spending a happy week together in Newcastle and another in Edinburgh before he returned to Afghanistan for his final two-month tour of duty. After he came back to the UK in April, her friends and colleagues noticed that she was becoming very withdrawn, distracted. She was losing a lot of weight. She also stopped socializing. And she fell out with her housemates and moved to a new ground floor um, apartment in Gateshead. And she moved in with her new work colleague, Maxine McGill. During this time, Dylan had actually started to become pretty critical of her appearance and the way she lived her life and of her friends and of her family members so that she steadily became more isolated. He'd also taken control of her Facebook account by changing the password. Um, She later ended up shutting that down and started a whole new one where he didn't have the password. Mind you, this is what narcissists do. So this type of behavior runs perfectly in line with that of a narcissist, which is a very scary and dangerous situation to be in. And oftentimes you don't know that you're in that situation until it's too late and the claws are in too deep and you can't get out. Dylan's behavior on Alice was taking a toll rather quickly, and just in a few months, Alice turned from the happy, bubbly, outgoing, vibrant person that she was to this sad, mousy, quiet, lonely girl. Uh, Her career and the work that she was doing was also severely affected, and her family noticed that she'd become very withdrawn and very unhappy. She did go on a family holiday to a cottage in Cornwall in July, and her family noticed her demeanor as unhappy, withdrawn, and recluse. Dylan later described that vacation as the perfect getaway. It was also around this time that Alice was contacted by another woman, one who Dylan had met on a dating site and pursued her. This is when Alice ended the relationship. Like we said earlier, she was no longer able to trust him. If you ever find your significant other on a dating website, it's just time to leave. Like, don't ask any questions. Don't go sifting for more. Like, you found your answer. Just leave. There's shit. We don't stand for that. Dylan had been such a psychopath that he wasn't even a walking red flag. He wasn't even a red flag. He was one of those giant blow up guys at like the car dealerships waving a red flag that said, I'm not all there. I'm a loose fucking cannon. Okay. That's what his sign said. And he'd be demanding Alice prove her loyalty to him and making sure that she wasn't talking to any other guys, had any guy friends, when in fact, she learned that he'd been cheating on her the entire time. He'd been contacting and chatting with other women, hooking up with them, having sex with them, and a lot of them even multiple times. This is when Dylan decided, hmm, I've been kind of masking my craziness, but now I'm going to go full-blown psychopath on this poor girl. He refused to take no for an answer, and over the next few weeks, he bombarded Alice with phone calls, voice messages, text messages, emails. Some of these were like the typical crying, pleading, poor me, I'll do anything. We all know and love those, like, please leave me the phone. And then others were aggressive and threatening. Dylan also began contacting Alice's family and friends and threatening them and pleading them to get her back. In one message, Dylan stated that he was not used to being denied what belonged to him. I'm going to let you chew on that for a second. I'm not used to being denied what belongs to me. That 
is petrifying. No means no, and someone doesn't owe you staying with them. Everyone has a right to leave a relationship regardless of the reasoning, and you can't do anything about it. So Dylan, why don't you sit down and knock it off, and while you're at it, check yourself into a freaking mental institution because you need some serious help because something is not working correctly in your freaking brain, okay? During the months of August and September, (laughs) I just got so good. During the months of August and September, Alice had received thousands of messages from Dylan. These came in the form of texts, emails, calls, voicemails, all from several different phone numbers and phones. This man was sold into T-Mobile's BOGO deal in order to torment this girl. In some of the messages, he professed his love and understood what he'd lost and how he'd never be the same. And then in others, he used emotional blackmail, such as crying, threatening to kill himself, threatening to harm himself. And then in others, he would get evil and scary and threatening and even threatened to release inappropriate photos of Alice that he admitted to secretly taking of her. It seemed as though because of Alice breaking up with Dylan, this had caused him to become completely obsessed with her. At first, Alice was trying to be nice to him and she was like, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be mean. She was trying to let him down easy and she felt bad that he'd been so heartbroken. And honestly, it wasn't in Alice's nature to be mean and cruel to anyone. Dylan knew that. And because of that, he began to use that to his advantage and use that against her and abuse that kindness that she'd had in her heart for him and for pretty much everybody. Mind you, this tells you the kind of person that she is, is that she's being kind to a guy that's a serial cheater and has treated her like absolute garbage, which God bless her, because if that were me, I would literally be like, okay, okay, release my pictures, please. And actually, while you're at it, set up a dating profile online for me since you seem to know how to work your way around those sites. Yeah, thank you very much. Then I would literally block this person on every single aspect and I would not respond and shut them down. And so the fact that she was still engaging with him and being kind and apologetic, that just showed the type of person that she was, that she literally did not have it in her heart to be mean to anybody. She did not have it in her heart to even ignore anybody and like be hurtful. And that to me, like the fact that somebody can abuse that and then torment a person like that. Oh God, no. And then Alice finally was like, okay, I've had enough. I've let this go on for months. And that's when she started to ignore his messages. He again went to her family members and friends. He was trying to influence them to influence her to get back together with him or talk to him and work it out. Dylan had also hacked into her social media and it became clear that he was reading all of her messages. So he knew who she was speaking to and where she was going. At the beginning of September, Dylan had found out that Alice had begun a new relationship with a guy named Mike. Mike was an army officer and made it his full-on mission to destroy this relationship. Dylan did. Dylan told Mike that he and Alice were still in a relationship and that she was two-timing him. And then he said a lot of nasty things about Alice and painted a really, really, really bad picture of her. Mind you, this is a new guy that she's trying to have a relationship with. So he's probably like, I don't want this drama. I don't want to date a girl who has a crazy ex-boyfriend. I don't know who this girl really is. So now I'm being told all these horrible things. Like, I'm just going to step away entirely. On September 30th, Dylan repeatedly rang Alice's doorbell and then hid when she got up to look through the peephole to see who it was. Alice obviously had a feeling that it was Dylan, so she didn't open the door to him. And then a few hours later, Alice was laying in her bed when she heard a knock on her window. She pulled back the curtain and saw flowers and chocolates on her windowsill and Dylan backing away. He had climbed the fence into the back garden and had knocked on Alice's window, left the things, and then left. 
As Dylan drove back to Edinburgh, he left a creepy voicemail on Alice's phone. He kept saying that he didn't want to kill her and that he wouldn't kill her if she would just talk to him. What? If you have to preface, I won't kill you in any sort of context, in any sort of communication, it like that, like that's your first issue. Okay. Like if you have to say that, it means that that person on the other end of that message thinks that you're capable of killing them. And in your mind, that thought has crossed your mind because you're outwardly justifying, like, I won't kill you. Nobody said that you would, Dylan. Nobody, nobody thought that you would. Nobody said, nobody hinted at that. You're putting death out on the dinner table right now, okay? And you're serving it as a full-on meal. Nobody asked for that. We were still looking at the appetizers. Thank you very much. This is when Alice was like, absolutely the fuck not, and went straight to the police, The police reassured her that he would be stopped and felt really badly for everything that she'd gone through with Dylan, and they classified the entire incident as harassment and issued a police information notification, aka a PIN, and a PIN means that they go and notify the abuser or the harasser of their behavior and basically say that somebody came in to notify them of the harassment and the behavior that's going on. It's pretty much supposed to scare the person and let them know like, hey, you literal whack job, we know you're crazy, we know you're acting crazy, so stop it. But personally, to me, this sounds like a horrible idea, and I think that the UK needs to reevaluate because people who harass and abuse, especially to this level, aren't normal. Their brains don't function like normal human beings, so they don't see right or wrong. They don't see what they're doing as wrong, so this doesn't scare them. This enrages them, and it amplifies their behavior because it turns into that, like, how dare you? How dare you do that to me? How dare you embarrass me? And then that behavior just amps right up. Seven days after Dylan got the pin, Alice notified police that he was continuing to harass her, but the response was less sympathetic from the police. They felt more annoyed that they had to deal with this rather than the fact that they had to go do something. Like they were pretty much like, oh my God, we told him to stop. Like, what do you mean he didn't stop? And then they were like, well, there's nothing more we can do. We said, knock it off. Like, no, okay, (laughs) arrest him. I don't know what's bothering me. Arrest him for bothering me. No action obviously was taken because the police just didn't feel like doing their job. And Alice was completely distraught because at this point, she's like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do next. Like I'd gone to the only people who could help me in this situation and they didn't help me. And at this point, that's when Alice believed that there was nothing that could be done to stop Dylan and his stalking of her. And she felt like she was just going to have to live with this for the rest of her life. Five days later, the unfortunate inevitable happened. It was inevitable because Dylan's stalking behavior was escalating and the only people who could have stopped it didn't and didn't have a plan to. On October 10th, 2016, Dylan had driven to Alice's house after a long day and unbeknown to Alice, climbed into the back garden and photographed the rear window. On October 12th, two days later, Dylan drove down again from Edinburgh and parked near Alice's apartment. He waited for her to return home. While he waited, he was making plans for later that evening with another woman in Scotland. Chivalry is not dead when it comes to Dylan. He'll commit murder and then hop on a plane to come see you. Nice. Wonderful. Around 6 p.m., Dylan climbed over the back wall and forced his way through a window. He picked up a sharp knife and cornered Alice in her bathroom. He stabbed her to death over the course of the next 20 minutes, then left. Her roommate, Maxine, returned home shortly after and found Alice in the bathroom. 
honest to God, I cannot even imagine that scene or that feeling when you walk in to your roommate knowing the entire backstory of this crazy ex-boyfriend who's not going away, knowing that the police refuse to help you, and then walking in and seeing that. Like, knowing all of that, you know exactly what happened, and I cannot imagine the pain or the emotion that you would feel seeing that because you know right off the bat who did that and what happened. And that to me, that's what made this case so horrific is like stalking. I'm telling you, it's the scariest thing to me because you have no control. And then when you have a police department that doesn't step in, and a lot of times they don't step in, they don't step in with stalking. I worked at Dunkin' Donuts. I think I shared this story before, but I worked at Dunkin' Donuts, um, pretty much from high school all the way through college, but I worked there. I worked at a different one the summer after I graduated college before I moved to Korea. And there was a woman, she came in and she was a regular and she had a twin sister who was murdered by her stalker. And she went to the police and basically was like, I have this guy, he's following me. He saw me out in public and now he's obsessed with me. He's taking photos of me. He's printing them of me. He's watching me in my house. And the stalker ended up having that mentality that was like, if I can't have you, no one can. And the police like can't really like, it's like, there's all these laws that protect people of like, you can't just arrest somebody and you can't just throw a restraining order on somebody. And quite honestly, stalkers don't care. Like, like, I think a lot of times we forget that like the only people who follow laws are law abiding citizens and bad people don't care about laws like like bad people who are going to do bad things aren't like, well, the law says I can't go within 100 feet of that person. Like, no, in their mind, they literally think I can go within 100 feet of that person. And there's no law that's going to stop me. Like a law is basically it's not like a real thing. It's not like a gated fence around a person. It's just like it's a rule that you should follow. And as a good human being and a good citizen, you follow that. But bad people don't follow those laws. And so you're giving these laws to these stalkers who don't really give a shit. They just are like, I don't care. (laughs) I can go. There's no police around her right now. She's standing in the middle of a parking lot. And like, that's what's so scary. That's why I get so scared of stalking. It's like my biggest, like, I have such a hard time covering these because I'm like, I don't know how you stalk a stalker, how you stalk a stalker, how you stop a stalker. Anyways, back to, back, my God, (laughs) I need a drink after that. So back to the case. Thanks to Maxine, because she pretty much walked in, saw what happened, and she held herself together enough to go to the police because she knew the entire backstory. She called the Northumbria police and Dylan was arrested back at his army barracks just a few hours later. And he was caught by the army police trying to climb over the wall to leave. And Dylan, you wouldn't have had to do so much climbing over walls and fences if you would just relax and accept your breakup. Okay. He initially played stupid and denied any and all knowledge of Alice's death, but there was so much evidence because, again, he's a narcissist and they have no regard for anyone else and they think that they're invincible. So he was saying and doing whatever he wanted, putting it in writing, putting it in voicemails, putting it in letters, putting it in texts, that he was immediately arrested and placed at the scene. In court, Dylan was completely unemotional and also had super amounts of arrogance. He denied the murder, but then he tried to argue that Alice was the one who attacked him because he was the one breaking up with her. The jury was like, "Mm, no, (laughs) you're wrong. Guilty with a capital G. And he was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 22 years. Alice did not recognize the amount of danger that she was actually in, nor did her friends or family. 
we all have crazy exes or crazy guys or girls that we've gone on dates with. And unfortunately, we live in a world that tells us to be quiet about it and ignore it and be kind rather than understanding the true brutality of it. And this next part, I'm also taking from Alice's mom's website quote the judge's sentencing remarks addressed to dylan at the end of his trial provide a grueling description of what happened on the night of september 30th to the day of the murder quote you went to her flat she was alone that night and what you did will have terrified her you knocked on the door on three separate occasions each time slipping away and then you climbed over the wall into the rear yard knocked on a bedroom window as miss rugels lay in her bed she looked out of the window to see you backing off having left flowers and chocolates as might be expected she was shaken and scared by that incident you then left a voice message telling her repeatedly that you did not intend to kill her you were harassing her you were stalking her you were destroying her and the night Alice called 101, that's their 911, as is evident from the recording of the phone call, which is in the public domain, she was calm and polite, almost apologetic. The officer explained that she could go to a solicitor and take out an injunction, which essentially would be a restraining order, or that the police could issue a police information notice, a PIN, which means, quote, if which means if he ever comes near you again or contacts you again, he'll be arrested. So which would you prefer? To which Alice can be heard saying, quote, can I try that option, please? Alice believed herself to be protected and had regained her old self-confidence. Actually, a pin notice carries no legal weight. Meanwhile, the police warning was communicated to Dylan in his barracks by his army superiors on October 3rd. Colleagues, friends, and even a general public practitioner had also told him not to contact Alice. Despite all of this, he immediately sent her a parasol containing a letter and some other items. The letter complained that she had, quote, called the police on him and that he was now facing the repercussions, including that they had taken away his laptop, iPad and phone, which was a lie. He went on, quote, I'm in a lot of shit now, but hope you feel happy now. I'm sending you everything I have that reminds me of you as you belong to another man wishing you to a happy life. I will never come into your life again. And I'm just going to continue because this is all from the parents website. And I think it's important that like you guys hear it from them. Sadly, Alice's story is not a one-off. It is a typical story illustrating the link between coercive behavior and stalking. During their brief relationship, Alice had always thought that Dylan had looked out for her, but the reality was that he had always been trying to manipulate her as well as her friends and her family. He made negative comments about her personal appearance to undermine her confidence. He stoked up minor disagreements between her friends and persuaded her that she was better without them. He sent messages to her mother telling her what a horrible person her daughter was. All the time, he emphasized to Alice how much he cared about her and he would look after her. In a few short months, Alice had lost all of her self-confidence and felt she had no friends left. Once she split from him and started to take control again, she began to return to her old self. This is the point where Tryman Dillon's course of control turned to stalking. Many ex-partners will exhibit stalking-type behavior to try and win their partners back, and not all of them, but some, will become obsessive. When warned by the police, around 50% of stalkers will immediately stop the behavior, but the other ones that do get the warning do not like Dylan, can be extremely dangerous. Stalking, in these cases, is murder in slow motion. For Alice's family, the key question is this. If another Alice presented herself to the police today, would the outcome be any different? Encouragingly, lessons have been learned as a result of Alice's case. Many police forces have been working hard to implement procedural change. Procedural? Procedural? 
procedural change and update training for frontline officers. In 2018, the CPS and National Police Chiefs Council, the NPCC, introduced a new protocol on the appropriate handling of stalking or harassment offenses, aiming to ensure that the criminal justice system identifies patterns of behavior that amount to stalking or harassment for what they are, rather than looking at incidents in isolation. One result of this is that pins are no longer used in stalking cases. Like I said earlier, it just enrages them. But there's plenty of work still to be done. Alice's Domestic Homicide Review, published in 2019, made 20 recommendations aimed at national, regional, and local bodies, including the Home Office and the Ministry of Defense. The 2019 Stalking Protection Act brought in Stalking Protection Orders, SPOs, intended as a simple and effective tool to help the police manage the risk from the moment a victim presents themselves, and emerging evidence suggests that the effectiveness and application of Stalking Protection Orders is being hampered by multiple complicating and competing factors, leaving victims at risk of serious harm or death. We are now campaigning for an urgent and comprehensive independent review of SPOs. We also continue to campaign for a statutory framework to deal with serial stalkers. In Alice's case, the court also heard how a restraining order had been taken out against Dylan by an ex-girlfriend in Kent three years earlier. This was because after she had split up with him, he had tracked her down and spat in her face in the street. At the time of Alice's phone calls, the Northumbria police had no knowledge about the earlier restraining order. If they had this, they might have acted differently. Since its inception, our trust has been doing all it can to put raise to public awareness of the dangers of stalking, particularly among young people. We need stalking victims to seek help much sooner, and we need a criminal justice system and support services that react the right way when they do. That is the case of Alice Ruckels, and I wanted to share that because I think it's pretty powerful coming from her parents and I don't want to take away from that because they have a whole website set up and everything for people who've dealt with stalking or people who are being stalked or people for looking for support groups or more information on the case and pretty much her mom did a really good job of saying everything that like I think in my head about stalking I think that we don't do a good job just honestly across the globe of handling stalkers because like I said like it's so hard because if you're looking at it as a case by case basis, you can find a hole as to how somebody's not stalking. And like, you can't do it like that. You have to look at like, no, this person's representing behavior of somebody who's dangerous and it's not normal to be so obsessed with somebody, to follow somebody around, to hack into their social media. Like that's not like crazy girl behavior. No, that's like crazy person behavior. Like that's not like, I love you and I care about you. That's like, I would rather you be dead than be with anybody else. And I think Obviously, like I know police work so hard in their jobs. And like I say all the time, like they see things that a lot of us don't see. But at the end of the day, though, to them, it might seem small. Like it's really not. And it's really big. And I just hope that we work towards a world that takes stalking more seriously and doesn't laugh it off and has, I don't know, maybe if you like dedicate a specific officer to that or a specific task force or like. I don't know. I don't know how any of that works, but I just hope that we move towards a world where stockings take it more seriously and it becomes a little less scary. But that was the case of Alice Rugels, and that was the TikTok case that I've been talking about for a while. So I hope you guys liked this episode. If you did, make sure to give it a like and make sure you're subscribed because we upload twice a week. And 
you can follow me on Instagram at Hello Kelsey. You can follow my crime podcast at Crime with a K. Send in any case suggestions, or if you have a scary story that happened to you, share it at my Instagram, or you can email us at Crime with a K at gmail.com. Follow us on TikTok, Crime with a K. And I will see you in the next episode. Oh my God. Kelsey, you just moved down, so relax. All right. I love you guys. See you soon. Bye.